My name is Lauren Shelberg. I serve with FSM at the Bentonville campus. I knew I wanted to do the residency because I wanted to serve the ministry that had a huge impact on my life. Uh, I became a believer when I was in FSM and saw it as a really impactful thing and so I wanted to serve that ministry as well, saw it as a really cool year for refinement and growth. I have learned more about the Lord and His intentionality. It's been really cool to dive really deep into learning about the Lord's character and seeing how He has purpose and thought and the way that we can rest in who He is completely and how His characteristics have the ability to be so impactful and can have so much purpose within what we do in a day, but as well as is something we can rest and have complete confidence in. That's one of the coolest things I've gotten to learn this year. An opportunity I've gotten with the residency has been learning how to better be faithful and obedient with the Lord when my role is changing. I've gotten to wear a lot of different hats and I've gotten to do a lot of new and exciting things with the residency and it's been really cool to get that opportunity of remaining faithful and being obedient in a changing role and learning how to remain faithful to the Lord even when things are changing pretty consistently. The highlight of my residency this year has been my team. I work with the Bentonville FSM team and they're all incredible. The Bentonville staff welcomed me in with open arms and specifically my team has loved me really well in a very new role of just Bentonville launching as well as just being a sweet friend of just getting to do life together. But it's really been a blessing to watch them lead and steward this wonderful ministry as well as care for everybody around them. They've for sure been the best part. What I would say to someone who's thinking about applying for the residency is just do it. <laughs> as someone who knew going into the residency that they weren't trying to decide if they were going to do vocational ministry, I just saw the residency as an incredible way to grow and also serve a ministry that helped build me and it's been incredibly impactful and it's been exactly that. I've gotten to grow in really cool ways, learn more about the Lord and serve an incredible ministry that has a great purpose. And so I say just do it. Good morning. Welcome those of you that have made it in from the parking lot. <laughs> you get to take a deep breath and say, yes, we made it. We are so happy that you're here this morning. It means a lot to us as we gather together to worship. It's been a full week. There's been lots of things. There's been some sun. There's been some snow. When there's snow, there's more family time and more laundry time and more food time. I hope it's been a good week. Abel, did you go sledding with your kids this week? My kids did sled. I did not go with them. And so all of my bones and joints and ligaments are intact <laughs> this morning. So I'm very grateful about that. Um, hey, one of the things I have loved about fellowship over the last 20 years and really drew me here um, from Denver, my wife and I moved here in 2004, is its emphasis on relationships. And life is really all about relationships we come to Christ one by one individually, but we grow together in community. And so, as you could imagine, at the beginning of a new year, lots of ways to get connected, to get 
involved in relationships. Here's three on the screen right now that start in the next couple weeks. Grief Share is our community of people that get together and support one another through the loss of a loved one. And that starts next week. Newcomers Gathering, this is our monthly gathering for those of you who are new. We'd love to meet you. It's on our first Sunday. On our first Sundays, our students are in here. Our junior high and senior high students are in this service. And then so we have the FSM room available. And so after each service next week, we'll have a Newcomers Gathering. And there are legacy gatherings. This is our community of senior adults, monthly gathering, get-together, led by Dick Nervig and others. And it is a wonderful community that's coming together um, to belong and grow, serve, multiply. Uh, Really grateful for our legacy community. And one other way to get involved, to... um, get in community that it maybe might not be as intuitive for you. And this is serving on Sunday mornings. One of our core values is worship one, serve one. So come to a service and worship and then serve um, at the other service. It's a great opportunity. You really do get connected through serving. Uh, we, if, we know that you've experienced it. It is more blessed to give than to receive and uh, there are a lot of ways to serve on Sunday mornings. Couple, we'll have every, we'll always, always looking for leaders, early childhood, our young, uh, our babies and youngest uh, at our church, and then special needs and disability, looking for leaders. And then if you have enjoyed being greeted and welcomed at church on Sunday morning, um, our welcome team, our greeters and ushers, uh, there's opportunities to serve there as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of ways to get connected. We do hope you have been welcomed um, sometime this morning. Connection and community. That's what we pray all the time for our people. I've been able to witness it again this week as um, family and friends have gathered around Jim Arkin's family to love and minister and the minister of presence with that family. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful every time that you see it. I read these words this week um, from Lexio 365, and um, I'm going to just say them and pray them over us this morning. The resurrection life, and I'm going to put the exiled life because of the series we've been in. The exiled life is for scarred people and scared people. When we come together as we are, we begin to rise again, to believe again, to hope again, and to live again. We've gathered this morning to do just that for each other. I invite you as Abel prays, um, whatever you're carrying, if you will let go of it for just a little bit and let the Spirit of God minister to each of us this morning. Lord, we love you. Thank you for bringing us together. Each day is a gift, so we come with uh, expectant hearts. We want to meet you here. Lord, we want to grow We want to acknowledge that you are the potter, we are the clay, we are the work of your hands, and we give our lives to you fresh anew today. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, faith family. Thank you, like two, two people. Hey, we're going to start by reading uh, Psalm of David psalm 40 uh i'll read and just 
take it in this morning. And anytime the word of God is read in this place, um, I just want to invite you to receive it personally as a word from God. Listen for God's voice in his word. Does that make sense? Listen for him speaking. Um, Let me read it over us. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, awe, and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And then will you read this aloud with me, this last part? You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them yet they are more than can be told. May it be this morning that we would just proclaim his works. We would proclaim his faithfulness in the assembly, among the church, because there's somebody here that needs to be reminded. They may be sitting next to you. They may be sitting right in your seat. Uh, Hey, let's stand together. We're going to sing of the faithfulness of God. This might be a new song to you. It's not a new song, but it might be a new song to you. But you pick it up and sing it out. And as we sing, don't just sing words. Pray them with your voice and your whole body. Consider the faithfulness of God. Has he been faithful to you? Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. So, Lord, I can't help. Faithful, sing it out.
in our minds in this place right now. May we just give him the praise and the honor that he alone deserves as we reflect on his faithfulness to us. May we lift up his praise. You can have a seat. But what if it doesn't end here? What if it doesn't end right here when we walk out these doors? 
What if our lives could praise Jesus? What if your life could just be a testimony to Jesus, praising him? Yes, through the words that you say, but just even through the mundane moments of your life, just honoring him. This is the invitation to life, to the abundant life, is to trust him. It's to trust him not just for your salvation in a moment. Yes, that. Glory be for that. But what about the next moment? And the next moment? And the next moment? He came to give us life and life abundant starting right now. And so we can enjoy that. It just takes one thing. Turning back to him. Trusting him. Saying, you got this, Jesus. I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to look to you. When I get overwhelmed, I'm going to look back to you. I'm just going to offer myself to you. That's the Christian walk. That's the life of faith. And guess what? It's a light burden. It's an easy yoke. It's not doing a bunch of stuff. It's just doing stuff with Jesus that we get to do. And so what I want to do is for this last song for the teaching this morning, I want us to sing an old hymn of the faith, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." And you might sing that from a place of desire. Man, what would it be like to really trust him in my day-to-day? God, would you teach me that? Or maybe you'll sing it from a place of, man, you have just seen his faithfulness over the years. You have just trusted him with your days and you just are enjoying that moment. But wherever you are on that spectrum, may we set our hearts, attention on Jesus and just ask him to teach us to trust him. Y'all with me? All right, sing together.
is our prayer for the grace to trust you more as we consider your faithfulness this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. It is my honor to wrap up the uh, study of Esther this morning as we have been going through for the last uh, four weeks. Can I make a confession to you that hopefully won't make you think less of me? That's probably not possible for some of you, but anyway, um, to think less of me. Anyway, make a confession. When we first started talking about going to the, uh, the study of Esther and Daniel, my first reaction was, really, Esther? Eh, I wasn't real excited about it. But I have to confess that as we have started digging in and, and as I started digging in in preparation and as we've studied this together, I have thoroughly enjoyed the study of Esther. I hope it has blessed you as much as it has me. Uh, God has given me insight into things that I just never noticed before. Uh, he has reminded me of some just foundational truths in this, in this story. Um, and I have truly been blessed, and I hope, hope that is true for you as well. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up the story um, and look at the kind of the last two chapters of the book, primarily chapter 9 is what we're going to be focusing on today. If you want to go ahead and be uh, finding your place there. And we're going to be seeing how the plan of Esther and Mordecai to deliver uh, the Jews from, from sure and sudden destruction, we're going to see how that works out today. But before we get there, I realize not, every, not all of you have been with us through every one of these. So I'm going to do just, if I can, a real, a real quick recap of the story. A long time ago, there uh, was a a powerful and rich king over a vast empire who was um, often foolish and always vain. And one day, uh, after a very long feast that involved a whole lot of drinking of a whole lot of wine, uh, he decided he wanted to show off the beauty of his queen. And so he sent orders for her to come and be put on display for all to see. And uh, the queen was offended by this. And so she sent word back to him, you're drunk, I'm not coming. And that cost her her position as queen. And so then later on, the king decided, hey, I think I need a new queen. And so all of the most beautiful young women in the, in the whole kingdom were brought, uh, and they were going to have this opportunity for him to select one of them for his queen. Now, the way that worked is they would spend a long time in preparation, and then each each young woman would spend one night with the king, and the one that pleased him the most would be the one that he would choose for his queen. Now, it happened that one of the young women that was caught up in this twisted beauty pageant was a Jewish girl named Esther who was living with her cousin, Mordecai, who was raising her after her parents had died. The Jews were descendants of, of a group of people who were prisoners of war, who'd been brought from their homeland, Israel, 
to this to this kingdom when they were conquered several uh, probably about a hundred years earlier. Now Mordecai had advised Esther that she would not to let anybody know that she was Jewish because the Jewish people were not well liked in the kingdom. And so as it turns out, Esther becomes the new queen. In the king's court, <clears throat> there was a man who was prideful and ambitious, and his name was Haman. Haman managed to become the king's right-hand man, and so the king issued a decree that everybody should honor and respect Haman. And there was a guy named Mordecai who just refused to bow down before Haman, and this made Haman really angry. And so much so that he wanted to destroy Mordecai. And when he found out that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman's mind expanded, and he said, I'm just going to kill all the Jews. And he talked the king into issuing a decree that said, on a certain day, and as it turned out to be one year from now, on a certain day, then anybody who wants to can kill the Jews and take what belongs to them. When Mordecai hears about this, he puts on sackcloth and ashes because that was the sign of public grief and mourning. And he goes and stands in front of the king's gate. Now, this was against the law, and so when Esther hears about it, in order to try to protect Mordecai, she sends him some clothes to put on and said, please don't do this, you're going to get in trouble. And Mordecai sends back a message to Esther that says, listen, this is what's going on, explains the decree from the king, and says, you've got to go to the king and ask for help. Esther says, but I haven't seen the king in a month, and if I go and try to go into his presence without being invited, it could cost me my life. And Mordecai says, let me remind you that your life is already in danger. You're a Jew. And when they go to kill all the Jews, you're going to be with the rest of us. And so Esther decides that she will go before the king. When she does, the king received her and asked her, well, what is it that you would like? And she said, would you please come to a feast uh, on, that I would like to throw for you? Oh, and by the way, bring your, your man Haman. And so the king and Haman go to the feast, and it's really nice. And the king says, really, Esther, what is it that you would like? And she said, if it would please the king, would you and Haman please come back and have a feast with me again tomorrow? And Haman left that feast feeling very pleased with himself, very pleased with his position in life, and all was good until he saw Mordecai. And that ruined his day. And when he got home, he grumbled and whined and cried and pouted until his friends and family said, okay, you got to deal with this. Here's what you need to do. You need to have Mordecai executed, not just executed. You need to build a, a platform that is 75 feet high and, and hang his body up there for all to see what happens when they disrespect you. And so that made Haman happy. And so he goes to the feast the next day. His plan is to go to the feast and have Mordecai executed and hang him on the gallows. It was going to be a great day. When he gets there, the king asks again, Esther, what is it that you would like? And she says to him, Haman is trying to kill me and all of my people. And she tells him what Haman has done. This makes the king angry. And so he has Haman executed and hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And then Esther says to the king, you've got to help us. And so the king agrees to issue a decree that says to the Jews, 
You can defend yourself. If anybody tries to attack you, you can defend yourself. And that's where we are in the story today. So we get to Esther chapter nine. Now in the first message of the series, Hunter asked the question, why study Esther? And that was the question I was asking when we first started talking about studying Esther. And he gave us two reasons. And the first reason was, this is a story of how the story of God's people almost ended. This is a story of how the story of the people of God that it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where God raised up a people out of Abraham and made them his chosen people almost ended. But because of the faithfulness of God, it didn't. We see the hidden hand of God protecting and preserving his people. So let's look at Esther chapter 9 and verse 1. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's command, the command that they could kill the Jews, when king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemy of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. And we mentioned before that Esther is a story of reversals, a surprise uh, shifts in the story. And here we have one. The reverse occurred. Instead, the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Poratha, and Adelia, and Eridatha, and Parmastra, and Erasai, and Eridai, and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, of Hamadatha, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. Let's skip down to verse 16. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. So the story of how the story was almost ended. Here were the Jews, an oppressed, scorned people, had no way of defending themselves. An edict came that said, hey, if you want to kill a Jew and take their stuff, go ahead. It's all yours. At the last moment, in the last minute, for 12 months, they were as good as dead. And then the edict came that said, but you can defend yourselves. And everything was reversed. It's the story of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. And we're going to see that repeated over and over and over uh, and through what we look at today, the faithfulness of God. So we read the story of Esther because it tells us of the faithfulness of God. The second reason we read the story of Esther that Hunter gave us is because it tells us about the Feast of Purim. So down in verse 17... 
This is on this day of, that they were able to defend themselves and they were delivered from their enemies. In verse 17, this was on the 13th day of the month of Adar and the 14th day, they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. The feast got started as a response of the Jews to this, this experience of being delivered from destruction. It was a natural expression of rejoicing over deliverance. Rejoicing for the victory that they had over their enemies, but not only that, also to express their joy over being delivered from certain death. In the history of God's people, they would frequently um, establish ways of commemorating significant events for them, such as a ceremony or a celebration or a time of feasting or even a time of fasting. And these became things that, that would embed in their culture, ways of remembering uh, the things that God had done for them. And so we read in verse 20 that Mordecai recorded all these things and sent letters to the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them fast days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Skip down to verse 28, that these days should be remembered and kept through all, throughout every generation. So, the Jews have this celebration that, by the way, to this day, they still, some of them still celebrate, uh, called the Feast of Purim. And it is a celebration. Um, Mark Schossman was telling me the other, the other day that he was in, happened to be in Israel when, on the time of Feast of Purim, and, and it was a day of celebration. He said it was really interesting. They were all dressed up in costumes. Many of the children were in Avengers costumes because they are heroes who rescue, right? So anyway, and they go from door to door, and not only do they get food, but they give food. So it's kind of like a um, two-way Halloween. And, uh, but anyway, this is a time of celebration and feasting. To this day, they still do this. And this story of Esther tells us why. Because they wanted to remember. Mordecai sent the letter and said, we want to do every year, we want to do a time of remembering of the deliverance that, we, that we've experienced as God's people. We want to remember what God has done to us. We want to remember the faithfulness of God. Well, since remembering is such an important theme in this passage, I thought it would be appropriate if we would conclude our study and conclude this story by remembering some lessons that we have learned from the book of Esther. So what I've done is I've gone back and, and highlighted one lesson from each week that I want to point out and I want us to just kind of spend some time on today. The first lesson comes from the question that Hunter asked us, is it possible that God is working when I can't see it? Is it possible that even though I can't see the actions of God or maybe can't feel the presence of God, is it possible that God is still working? The story of Esther shows us 
that the answer to that is absolutely he's still working. There were things going on in the background that, that nobody knew about until they came to the surface. There were things happening, and all of these people thought, oh no, what are we going to do? And yet God was always still working. We see the hidden hand of God. God is still working, whether we see him or feel him. God is present, even when I can't see him or feel him. We need to remind ourselves, like the psalmist in, in Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I could never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. God is always present and we are always in the presence of God. One of the things that I have worked on in, in this past year uh, in, my, in my own life is to be conscious, to acknowledge, God, you are always present and then ask, help me to be present with you. You're always here. And so as we kind of go through these principles, I also want to take some time to, to ask a question and let us contemplate. So the question, if God is always present, even when I can't see or feel him with me, where might God be present in my life that I'm not seeing him right now? Think about that. Where's that thing that you wrestle with that every time you look at it, you just go, God, are you even in this? That circumstance or that problem or that issue or maybe that wound from the past or maybe that wound from very, very recent. And you just don't feel the presence of God in it. And you just can't see that God is doing anything in it. What is that thing? Think about that a minute. Now hear this principle, this truth that we learn from Esther. God is present. Even when you can't see him and even when you can't feel him. In that thing, in that place, in that womb, in that circumstance, in that question, in that fear, God is present. The second lesson that God, is that God invites us to join him in the work he is already doing. This invitation will bring us to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action and reveals to us what we believe about God and ourselves. See, God was working, already working to deliver his people. In fact, what we're going to discover when we get to the book of Daniel, because Daniel is a little before Esther, but in that same circumstance, living in that same place in exile, we're going to discover that Daniel realizes that even before they went into exile, God told them, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bring you home. God was already working to deliver his people. He didn't just suddenly say, hey, here's, what, here's an idea. Why don't we put Esther where we can use her to deliver the, my people? God was already working. This was not a sudden decision by God. This was God's plan and purpose all along. God is working his plans and his purposes all the time, everywhere. 
There's never a time when God is not working. There's never a time when God is not working out his plans and his purposes. And he invites us then into that work. We just have to have the faith to step into that invitation. One of the uh, privileges I have working uh, here is I get to work with our our global workers, the people who live in in, uh, different places around the world and in in, in order to try to share the gospel and bring a gospel witnesses to places where it's not. And one of the things that every one of our global workers will tell you, and they tell me this regularly, we are not there to make anything happen. We are not there to create anything We are there because we believe God is there before us and God is already working where we are. And we are there to find the places where God is working, to find the people in whom God is working and to join him in what he's already doing. Think about this shift that that can bring into the way you live your life. What if God is not asking you to manufacture anything? What if he's not asking you to accomplish anything? What if he's telling you, I'm already at work and I'm already got people whose hearts are ready and open to hear the good news. I just want you to go and be the one that shares it with them. What if there are people whose lives are already positioned by God to intersect with yours so that you can be a living witness and testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God to somebody who really needs to hear it. And what if the invitation is just there, would you do that? Would you just join me in what I'm already doing? So here's the question I want us to contemplate. Where can you and I join God in his work right now where we are? Where can we join God in his work that he's already doing right now where we are? Maybe it's that neighbor that God just wants you to be a friend to. Maybe it's that coworker that God wants you to be a witness in word and deed to the greatness and the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe it's our city where God is literally bringing people from around the world into our front yard. People who may come from places where they never could have heard about Jesus because it just doesn't exist in their culture. And yet they're here and we have the opportunity to interact. Could it be that these are people in whom God is already working to open their hearts And this time of transition is an opportunity for us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus that will show them the good news of the gospel. Where is it that you and I can join God in his work? The third lesson that we've learned is that God is sovereign and will accomplish his objectives with or without us. When everything felt like it was out of control, Esther learned God was always in control. And again, we're doing some speculation, but I think it's probably reasonable speculation. Try to imagine Esther's life. She was in a place 
that she didn't belong, and she had no control over that. She lost both of her parents. She had no control over that. She was dragged into this twisted beauty pageant, forced into it. She had no control over that. Even when she became queen and, it, and Mordecai said, you've got to go to the king. She said, I haven't seen him in a month and I have no control over that. She lived a life that felt like she was out of control. And yet somewhere, somehow in this story, we see that shift in Esther where she began to realize God's always been in control. None of this has ever been out of his control that in spite of and even in the midst of all the things that happened to her, God was always in control to bring about his plan. So maybe the, the lesson you need to remember today is that God is in control in all of your circumstances. So take a moment to consider what do I need to be trusting God with in my life? What is that thing that you are scrambling, desperately trying to maintain control or even get control over in your life? And it is a constant battle for you and you feel like you're losing it day in and day out, but you keep trying. I will share with you something that, that I heard years ago that impacted me. I heard someone say, control is an illusion that we create to try to cope. There is practically nothing that you and I can actually really control. And so we desperately need to remember God's always been in control. He never lost it. That thing that happened that destroyed all of humanity and all of creation in the garden, God didn't lose control over that. That thing that's going on in your life that maybe somebody else is causing and you can't make it stop, God is in control even in that. That thing you want so desperately to gain control over, would you just open your hands and just admit, God, I can't control this, but you can. What is it in your life where you need to be trusting God right now? And then the final lesson is that God's deliverance is sure. God has done, is doing, and will do everything necessary to deliver his people. Mordecai says this when he says, deliverance and relief, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews. He believed that God would do whatever was necessary. He had done it in the past, and he was going to do it now. The faithfulness of God assures us that what God has promised, he will deliver. He promised Adam and Eve that he would fix everything they broke when they sinned in the garden. And the story of the whole Bible is God keeping that promise. He promises you and me that he will deliver us from the sure death and destruction that sin brings. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is God keeping that promise. God has accomplished and assures our deliverance through Jesus Christ. And the completed work of Christ will restore all things that sin has broken 
and destroyed. So the question, how can we live in the hope of God's promised deliverance? If we truly believe that our deliverance has already been accomplished and is completely promised and assured, how can that change the way we live? Where's the hope that we can hang on to in that? How can that change how we see the world, how we can see other people, how we can see the future? How can we live in the hope of God's promised deliverance? Now, just like the Jews had a feast to remember their deliverance from destruction in the hand of, the, of their enemies, we who follow Jesus also have a feast of remembrance. We call it communion. And as we prepare to take communion, I want you to try and imagine yourself with me in Esther's day. You're a Jew. You've been living in exile, oppressed and scorned, and for a year, you have been as good as dead. And then, at the last minute, the word comes. Deliverance has come. Deliverance is granted. You're not only rescued from death, but you're given victory over your enemies who would destroy you. Can you imagine the joy, the excitement, and the relief. How would you respond if you had been there? Well, communion reminds us that that story is our story. We have been exiled since sin came into the garden. We have lived oppressed by sin and scorned by our enemy, the devil. We face certain destruction because the holiness of God cannot abide our sinfulness. But then, as Paul writes in Galatians, at just the right time, God sent Jesus to die in our place and rise again. And not only have we been rescued from God's judgment, we've been given victory over the enemy. And God promises us, he assures us, that he will bring us back home where we belong. So as we prepare for communion, let's rejoice and let's remember our deliverance.
feast to remember our deliverance, to rejoice in God's faithfulness. So when we take the bread, Jesus told us, remember, this is the body that was broken, so yours didn't have to be. So take the bread and remember. And as we take the cup, Jesus said, remember, this is my blood that was shed so yours didn't have to be. It covers our sin. So take the cup and remember. So part of the Feast of Purim was blessing others. So let me just send you out with a challenge today. We've rejoiced today in remembering the deliverance of our Savior. Go be a blessing to somebody. Somebody that needs the joy that you have. Somebody that needs the good news that you have. Find a way today just to be a blessing to somebody. Gather with other believers and rejoice some more. Have a party. It'd be great. Find somebody that looks like they just need encouraging and say, listen, I've got so much joy. Let me spill a little bit out on you. And just bless them today. Hey, if you need prayer, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you and for you. If any of these things that we've talked about today has just stirred up in your heart, I really would love to be able to take these to the Lord. They would love to do that with you. Uh, We always would love to connect with you if this is your first time with us. We have folks out in the foyer that would love to just meet you, say hello, get to know you. We're glad that you're here. Thank you, guys. God bless you.